but how many times has it happened that we've had this split in a midterm election where the House and the Senate went this, different directions? This is the fourth time in history. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content. More conversation coming up after this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Well, in the end, it wasn't nearly as close as the polls had suggested. Republican Mike Braun unseating Senator Joe Donnelly. But what's next after a contentious campaign with more looming controversies in Washington? Our Haley Bull caught up with Senator-elect Mike Braun on election night. Now, this has been a hard-fought battle. What do you tell Hoosiers moving forward? You know, I, th I think politics, and I mentioned it and I did it on purpose, it's gotten too nasty. We've got to start looking at what people have done, what they're going to bring to the table, and get rid of the negativity and the money that comes with it. That's the part I knew I was going to get into. I didn't like it about the campaign, and we got to find a better way. You know, we won with uh, a comfortable margin, and I believe because Hoosiers like the fact that there's a new agenda in D.C. When I stuck my neck out and declared back in last August, very few believers that somebody could come out of the real world and pull this off. But I wouldn't have done it unless I didn't think I had a good chance to do it. And you'll see that same type of ingenuity, that same type of entrepreneurialism, try to inject that into the Senate. And I think that's what is lacking. And made the point a while ago, until you get more people that have kind of actually signed the front side of paid checks, built things, done things, we're not going to get things done in D.C. All right, so with Braun headed to Washington and Republicans keeping the Senate, what is next in Washington, especially after Democrats regain control of the House? This week, our Trevor Shirley spoke with some political experts and also talked with Congressman Andre Carson of the House Intelligence Committee about his party's new role in Congress as battle lines are already being drawn. It's the go-to message after any election. Let's come together. We got a rare opportunity, I think, to really make things happen in D.C. We need to make sure we work to bring our country together rather than to divide it. But is a call for unity achievable with a divided Congress? Now is the time for members of both parties to join together, put partisanship aside. The leaders of both the Republican and Democratic parties have a responsibility to eliminate the rhetoric. Representative Andre Carson, a Democrat, sits on the powerful House Intelligence Committee, which will soon be led by Democrats and has faith that a measure of bipartisanship can happen. I've had over five pieces of legislation signed into law and it was done primarily because of Republican support. But experts we talked with say with Congress divided, it could easily be back to business as usual. So I think we're gonna be looking at the House shining a little bit more of their oversight responsibilities, looking into various investigations, looking at tax returns of the president and things like that. I also asked Congressman Carson for his reaction to the news that Attorney General Jeff Sessions had resigned at the president's request. Well, one would hope that uh, this resignation was just a matter of differing of views and approaches. Uh, I hope it's not about Russia. Uh, Donald Trump knows that since the Democrats have now regained the House of Representatives, we're going to really reopen this investigation and call in more witnesses. I think that the interviews that were conducted were done in a very cursory manner. We can now delve more deeply and subpoena emails and, and phone records and even phone numbers and bring in more witnesses. 
Does it worry you about the, does the timing of this worry you at all, the day after the midterms that is when they decide to announce this or the Attorney General decides to step down? After the midterms, before the midterms, I think the reality is that Donald Trump is worried. Uh, he knows that he's really going to have to do some work and be a president. Uh, my Republican colleagues let him get away with antics, his provocations, and tweeting at celebrities and saying disparaging things. He now has to get real, delve into his background as a developer, and work with the Democrats in creating a proposal that will create over 16 million jobs for the next 15, 20 years. Do you feel like having Jeff Sessions out of the picture under these circumstances, does that put more onus on the House to, uh, for lack of a better term, protect the Mueller investigation? And do you hope to have support from your Republican colleagues in the Senate to do that as well? I think that there are a lot of Republican uh, colleagues of mine who are serious about preserving our democracy. I think we need a professional um, in the AG's office at this point, um, someone who is not cronies with Donald Trump, but someone who's serious about the mission and role of the Justice Department and making sure that uh, we're keeping the republic as it were. Do you trust that whoever takes over permanently for him will be one of those people, an independent for lack of better? That is my hope. That is my hope. All right, meantime, Senator Todd Young said this on Twitter, quote, I thank Attorney General Sessions for his distinguished public service to the nation. I look forward to reviewing the qualifications of President Trump's nominee for Attorney General. In the wake of the Sessions firing, GOP Congressman Jim Banks from Indiana told Howie Politics, I have supported the Mueller investigation from the beginning because we need answers about Russia's attempts to influence our elections. I believe Mueller's efforts should continue without political interference. But after over a year of investigation and millions of taxpayer dollars spent, Banks says, I am hopeful that he'll provide a report to the American people soon. And reportedly, that may indeed be the case. All right, now the news of Jeff Sessions' firing came right after that Wednesday press conference at the White House. The president involved in a series of combative exchanges with the media, but also at that press conference, he was asked this question about whether he had already asked Vice President Pence to join him again on the ticket in 2020. Here's what happened there. Where are you? Mike, will you be my running mate? Huh? Stand up, Mike, please. Raise your right hand. No, I'm only kidding. Will you? Thank you. Okay, good. Well, there you have it. An interesting moment for the vice president there. Also, his brother is now in Washington as well. Greg Pence elected to represent Indiana's 6th Congressional District Tuesday night, defeating Democrat Janine Lee Lake. Here in the 6th District, I've watched many communities in the middle class just kind of get, get as manufacturing moved out, just shrinking. And I want to help bring back here jobs and bring back the, the welfare of the middle class. Pence will replace Congressman Luke Messer, who ran for Senate. Coming up, we're looking at what went wrong for Senator Joe Donnelly and for Indiana Democrats on Tuesday night. Our panel joins us after the break. And a historic night as well for Indiana's newest state senator. You'll hear from him coming up next. Welcome back. Let's bring in our panel now. Indy Star columnist Tim Swearens, Democratic strategist Laura Beck, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, and former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner. Let's start with the Senate race here. Was it the president's campaign stops, the Kavanaugh effect? What went wrong here for Joe Donnelly on Tuesday? Well, I think what went wrong for Joe Donnelly is being a moderate Democrat in a uh, state that Donald Trump carried by 20 points two years ago. Um, did the Supreme Court uh, vote 
play a part? Probably. Did the president coming here play a part? Absolutely. But, you know, he was never probably going to be uh, in, in a position to win this race by 10 points, and he didn't. And, and obviously a, a much wider margin than everyone had initially expected in this race, Mike. Uh, wh what kind of a senator do you think Mike Braun will be? Obviously, one takeaway from, from this election could be that Indiana voters want someone who will stand with the president. Do you think he will be that kind of a senator? Or as other controversies loom, the AG confirmation, uh, perhaps more news with the Mueller probe, might he stand up to the president from time to time? I doubt that he'd stand up in that sense. I mean, he owes Donald Trump a lot. Donald Trump was in here several times for him, made a big difference, obviously, in the, in the outcome. I hope he's careful, judicious his first couple of years, learns the rules of the Senate, which are very complicated, and I hope he follows the lead of Todd Young. You couldn't have a better big brother in the Senate than Todd Young. If he does those things, he'll be a very successful senator. How big a role did the president play here, Laura? Well, I think he played a role, definitely. Um, and to Jennifer's point, um, when you, it's tough to run in a red state um, as a centrist Democrat. And I, I think that we saw that across the country. We, you know, we saw Claire McCaskill lose, Heidi Heitenkamp lose in um, North Dakota. And so these were folks who really walked down the middle. And in a red state like ours, it just wasn't enough to carry him over the line for the election. So I think Donald Trump helped him a lot. Uh, when the president comes to town and can attract 10,000 people to a basketball arena and, and a very energized crowd, they, they just didn't show up. They were very excited. And that translates, uh, that helps uh, a senator, a, a relatively unknown senatorial candidate mm -hmm. like and, Mike Braun. And you had a column in the Indy Star this week about Indiana Democrats uh, specifically, and you wrote it up this way, saying Senator Donnelly's loss proves the Indiana Democratic Party is broken. Strong words here, but you did have Democrats win in other places, even in other red states. They won a governor's race in Kansas. Their senator in Montana was reelected. He also voted for uh, against Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, what's going on with Indiana Democrats? It, it, it's been a, a, a long and slide into the crater, and it's going to take a long climb out. Um, but uh, Joe Donnelly was the last blue dog Democrat standing in Indiana, the last statewide office holder for Democrats in Indiana. And you're not He's sure that gone. approach can still work in Indiana, the blue dog model. I don't think the blue dog model works anymore in Indiana, maybe not anywhere. Um, I think what we're hearing from younger, diverse voters who want to vote for Democratic candidates is be proud of who you are. Don't apologize for being a Democrat. So where does your party go from here? Well, I think that is um, something we've got to figure out. I mean, we've got to do some soul searching and we've got to really uh, develop a plan for where we go. Um, I do think uh, there were some bright spots. Um, we were kind of laughing a little bit that saying, you know, gaining seats and incremental gains in the seats uh, ahead of time in the House isn't really anything to brag about, but really it's something that we started with. And we saw some real gains um, in those uh, suburban counties, especially uh, with women, um, particularly. I mean, Joe Donnelly won the early vote in Hamilton County, for example. So we flipped some seats there, but we do have a lot of work to do. And I, I do think you're right, that blue dog model may not work anywhere, and I, it, we know it's not working here. What do you think? Indiana versus the national dynamic of this election, what did you see? What was your takeaway, Tuesday? Well, first of all, I have to offer a little bit of a defense for uh, Joe Donnelly. Uh, the statewide Republican ticket won by about 22 points. He lost by roughly 10. I don't know what the final was. Well, less was, than that in, in the end. Yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. eight yeah. points. So he did better than the rest of the Denver. He mm -hmm. kind of chewed into by 12 mm -hmm. points or so. Uh, the Republican majority, which is not insignificant. He just didn't get far enough. Um, we see this, every party goes through this. In 1996, yeah. I sat there and watched 
is we lost 10 seats in the Indiana House. It took us eight years to get the majority back, and it was a deep crater. Um, you know, between Paul Manweiler and Brian Bosma, they, they did great recruiting. They, they brought in uh, Mike Gentry, and they just start picking up one seat after the other, and all of a sudden you've got a majority right. back, and the Democrats have that same kind of work to do. Chairman Zodi was asked uh, if he would be stepping down. He says, no, I'm going to stay in this role until, until I'm told to leave. As well he should. He was elected to a term and he should serve it out. And I think the one thing we're missing here that we did talk about on election night is that next year is a municipal year. Right. Exactly. And to Laura's point, we yeah. are really good in urban and suburban right. areas. Yep. So while we may not be good at running statewide because this is an overarchingly Republican state, mm -hmm. let's get some mayors, let's get some right. county executives, county council members, and let's get them elected in an off year and let's see if we can build the bench there. And, that, and, and that's part of it, I think, too, for our party is... Um, People who are mayors, people who serve in municipal, local jobs, know how to get it done, and they know how to work in a bipartisan way. And I think that that is something for Democrats that we can really tout that on local levels, we work across party lines. It is not contentious at all. And I, I think that's a real strength for us. But the other thing you have to remember is that the two of the most important people to have in your party are your local mayor and your local sheriff. And the reason is, with them comes armies of volunteers that you don't get otherwise. Mm -hmm. But honestly, everyone here surprised it was an eight-point win for Mike Braun after what we saw in all the polls? I'm not surprised that Mike Braun won. I am surprised that he won by eight points. I think one of the lessons we learned all over again in this election is right. pay no attention to the polls. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, the big lesson once sure. again, exactly. right? Yeah, right. The only bright spot, as you alluded to, for Indiana Democrats were some small gains at the state house level, and one in particular that we'll talk about in a moment. Finally got all the numbers from that uh, Porter County fiasco after some issues there counting the ballots. Republicans still hanging on to those super majorities. They did gain one seat in the state Senate in a very noteworthy race. Democrat J.D. Ford becomes the first openly gay candidate elected to the state Senate, defeating Republican Mike Delf. Delf has been at the center of controversy over the years in the state Senate, supporting controversial immigration measures, opposing same-sex marriage. The man who beat him happens to be the first openly gay man ever elected to the state legislature. This week he spoke with our Randy Spieth. I'm very honored and humbled and grateful to be here. It's about providing uh, LGBTQ plus Hoosiers and generations to come uh, to know that, that if I can do it, you know, they can do it. Uh, your thoughts on this uh, Ford-Delph race and also Democrats, by the way, changing leadership in the state house going with uh, new, new House Minority Leader Phil Giaquinza chosen this week. So J.D. didn't just beat Mike Delph, he Did crushed Mike yeah. Delph. And <laughs> That is a testament both to Mike Delft's unpopularity within his own party, but also J.D. is a hard worker. This was his second time around as a candidate. Ran against him four years ago. Yeah, yep. and he worked his tail off in this race, and that is not to be underestimated. Um, the Republicans couldn't take Mike Delft out in a primary. They had to have a Democrat do it in a general. It's, it's a great playbook, and I congratulate him from the bottom of my heart. What'd you make well, of Jennifer, Jennifer makes a good point, but it's not that big of a surprise because Hillary Clinton won that district in 2016. Mm -hmm. There's a big chunk of a dips down in Wayne Township, County, yeah. Wayne and Pike yeah. Township. Yeah, so it's, it's not that big of a surprise. <laughs> but I, I will, I will grant um, the other part of her point is that 
Mike Delph was not popular in his own caucus. He was disciplined repeatedly, almost thrown out of his caucus, right. sent to the back row. He was a, he's a fervent believer in what he believes in. He's a good family man, right. but he doesn't he never fit in. Quickly, final thoughts from the state house races? Oh, I, I think that um, we also saw from the Democrats that there were some new new faces, um, women coming in. Right. So I think we're going to have some some real positive change moving forward. But JD is is oh. testament to hard work pays off. All right, we got to leave it there. Coming up next, a look at what we're calling the political paparazzi and the impact they played in this year's Senate race here in Indiana. Stick around. We'll be right back. Well, the campaign's over, and no doubt voters have seen an awful lot of video of the candidates, the campaign ads, and, yeah, sometimes video that's a bit more under the radar. All that attack ad video, someone has to work hours and hours undercover to make it happen. Out on the campaign trail this year, our Matt Smith got a behind-the-scenes look at what we're calling the political paparazzi. It's a simple question. Why did you say you were going to self-fund you weren't going to self-fund in the general. The camera was rolling when Mike Braun arrived at a campaign event this summer. Yeah, I'll go call the police. Why? There to capture the moment, a campaign tracker for the Indiana Democratic Party. Would you mind leaving? Yep. Back up to see the encounter started like this. Hey, Mike, got a question for you. Get out. Sir? Get out. Got Get a out. question for you. Why did Get you out. lie Get about self-funding? Why did out. you lie about self-funding? Sir, why did you lie about self-funding? Why did you give yourself a million dollars? No matter your interpretation of what you just saw, this confrontation shows the high stakes and oftentimes unseen world of political tracking. Political paparazzi. And the stakes couldn't be higher to capture that moment in Indiana's race for U.S. Senate. All right, so what's the typical profile of a tracker? Who wants to do something like this? So a tracker is, is usually uh, someone just starting out in politics. Alexandra Smith is executive director of America Rising, a super PAC based out of Washington, the premier opposition research firm for the Republican Party. America Rising's tracker was there when Senator Donnelly launched his re-election and has followed him to public places ever since, by their own account traveling thousands of miles and showing up at more than 200 events in Indiana alone. Someone who's looking to really kind of cut their teeth on the campaign trail and to uh, catch Democrats in these exciting uh, moments where they could be used in a campaign ad or they could be used on the news. The candidates oftentimes ignore and try to avoid. The trackers do whatever it takes to catch up, capturing hours of oftentimes mundane encounters that are sent to and stored in Washington. Thank you all for being here today. Their presence is no hidden secret. Behind this press conference at the Indianapolis Public Library, Donnelly's tracker. They all oftentimes engage in a behind-the-scenes back-and-forth with campaign staff rarely seen by voters. Staffers for any campaign will work to protect their candidate from the glare. Four kids, two sons, two daughters. Mike Braun entered this Indianapolis event with supporters from a back entrance. Out front, not only a few protesters, but one of his trackers, waiting to hopefully capture the candidate arriving. American Bridge is compiling hours of video, too. The Washington-based Democratic Super PAC is following the Republican candidate, everywhere from fish fries in Warsaw to private fundraisers in D.C. And sometimes the mere video 
is enough. Candidates understand that, you know, this is the 21st century, it's 2018, this is part of what politics is now. But in Indiana, tracking has also gone terribly wrong. Like in 2012, when Marion Superior Court Judge Jose Salinas was leaving a state Democratic gathering in Indianapolis, a guy started following him, eventually weaving in and out of traffic along the interstate for 16 miles. So at this point, Judge Salinas says he was pretty nervous. Oh, he got off the interstate, pulled into this parking lot off of I-65 just to see what the guy would do. The judge says he followed him, actually stopped on this side street, so he was able to get his license. Police determined the guy was a tracker for the state Republican Party, who thought Judge Salinas was actually Joe Donnelly. This cycle, Indiana Republicans don't have a hired tracker. Were they this close to you, like from what Oh, easily this close. Mm -hmm. Easily this close, and right in my face. Christina Hale ran for lieutenant governor in 2016 and was followed at length by a tracker. It's a very strange thing. I had my first tracker at a town hall meeting when I realized, you know, this guy's only taking photos of me and there were a lot of elected officials and candidates there. And so I asked him, you know, are you a tracker? And he got very, very um, defensive. Uh, and yeah, he was out to get a bad picture of me, which he got. None of the trackers working in Indiana would talk to us on camera. Again, I'm not, I'm not going to answer any questions. All right, stick around. We're back to wrap things up right after this. All right, let's wrap it up with this week's winners and losers. Tim. Mike Braun, for, for obvious reasons, is my winner this week. And, uh, and I take no joy in saying this, but Indiana Democrats, uh, is, they're, they're my loser. Um, well, you don't have to look at me. Uh, <laughs> I picked J.D. Ford for the winner. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Loser this week is, unfortunately, the, the fourth estate of the media. Um, they took it on the chin with Donald Trump. Um, Pulling Jim Acosta's um, press pass, and then as well as all the other other reporters he went yeah, after, they've got a fight on their hands. Yeah. yeah, Mike. My winner has to be Donald Trump. I know I don't often say that, but he had a huge impact not just in Indiana but across the nation. The loser has to be the losers has to be the clerks of St. Joe County and Monroe County who screwed up the elections, denied people the right to vote. At least in Monroe County and St. Joe County, still messed up. Jennifer. Well, I get to go last, and there were a whole bunch of winners this week, and I congratulate all of them. There you go, right? <laughs> we'll leave it there. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. All right, so after the election, we're here after the show uh, talking about what we witnessed this past week, briefly kind of wrapping up what we didn't get to talk about on the, on the broadcast. What were your other big surprises from election night? I mean, in, in one sense, there weren't a whole lot of surprises. We thought the Democrats were going to take back the House, thought the Republicans would probably keep the Senate, and that's what happened. Anything else stand out to you? You know, I honestly think the biggest surprise was that there was no wave. Um, we talked about this on election night. It was, uh, I think someone likened it to tornadoes instead of a wave. It was unpredictable as anything. Very localized was, election yeah, for very, a national midterm, right? Yeah, and you've got, I mean, Mike, you can probably chime in on this as our history buff, but how many times has it happened that we've had this split in a midterm election where the House and the Senate went this, different directions? This is the fourth time in history. That it's happened. 62 with Kennedy, 70 with Nixon, 82 with uh, Reagan, Reagan, and now now this year. Yeah. So very very unusual. But you know, uh, Dan, the the at the local level, the, these legislative races really are about personality. Who do you know? Mm -hmm. Who do you trust? Mm -hmm. What's the record been? And so I was impressed that some people held on that maybe were thought not to going going to hold on. Carbaugh in Fort Wayne, Devon in Mishawaka, right in the heart of Joe Donnelly country. 
Kirkhoffer and Southeastern Marion County. There mm -hmm. are some, they, they stayed because apparently they've done good service and satisfied uh, their folks. Bosma won. Now, despite the allegations, he, he won. He spent almost $200,000 on his own behalf in radio and TV, but he needed it because he dropped nine points uh, from Closer last time. He's been in it a long yeah. time. And yeah. he, was, he ran 3% behind the statewide ticket this time. So that was a good investment for him. Any big surprises that we didn't talk about earlier that uh, that you look at and well, I think it's hard to I think it's it's hard to be surprised anymore um, after 2016. <laughs> I mean, really, I think it I think the shell shock of 2016 and how how things played out. Um, and I'm not saying like I was home crying on, on the day after the election, but um, I I was. It, it, I really felt like this, uh, that it was going to be a little closer for Donley. Um, I think the margin is probably what surprised me the most. Um, I'm not, I, I was a little bit surprised that, um, and I shouldn't say I'm surprised, I'm surprised we picked up seats, frankly, um, in the legislature. Um, because we have heard, I mean, the Republican talking point has been, you know, Trump won the state by, by 20 points, Trump won the state by 20 points. And so they almost set themselves up a little bit that it was going to be this incredible red wave in, in some of these districts, and it ended up not being as much. We were able to, we were able to make, make those small incremental gains. That didn't surprise me because the red wave hit in 2016, and I think Republicans probably picked up some seats they should, maybe not should have won in yeah. 2016. Yeah, and so there was a little bit of a correction this time yeah. around. So I don't know where the balance really is. Yeah. Uh, I think there's no question that Indiana is a, a plus Republican state by a certain percentage mm -hmm. point. Yeah. Uh, usually, we in the path we say maybe six points. Five, yeah. Net five points, yeah. six points. It may it feels be, like it it's more be, than that. Yeah. It yeah. feels like it's more than that, yeah. which means that uh, somebody like Joe Donnelly is coming with a big disadvantage. Uh, See, and I think I think Republicans are still playing out over their skis. Quite frankly, uh, most speakers, most Senate pro tems in Indiana don't want to have that big of a majority because they are very right. unruly, right? They start to form fiefdoms <laughs> right. and mini-caucuses. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens, so what they should have, I think a good majority for the House is 55, 56 for either party to have, mm -hmm. and in the Senate it's probably 35 to 37. Yeah. You're 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 in good shape because right? the discord is no longer at the state house. It's not really Republican versus Democrat. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's finding any votes on any one issue. Yeah. When you have fifty-four, fifty-five seats, you right. can yeah. effective message is to say, let's hang together. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, and and I think it's important for the public that right. there's a better balance. I mean, the, the you kind of spoke to that in your. I column. did, and yeah. that was really why the reason why I wrote the column. It wasn't to kick Democrats while they're down. Uh, they're very much down, but. But it's to say we need them to get back up for the health of our state. We need better competition between the two major parties. We're not seeing that right now. And, and nationally, you saw Democrats take back the House. What will that mm -hmm. dynamic be like, do you think, over the next two years? Obviously, already we're talking about the possibility for investigations here. The new judiciary chairman uh, mm -hmm. wanting to look into the firing of Jeff Sessions, which happened mm -hmm. this past week. It seems yeah. like the headlines are already coming fast and furious. I, I think the narrative is always, I, I think the immediate narrative right after election night was um, gridlock, gridlock, gridlock. I, I think the Democrats have to be really careful that they don't overstep, they don't overplay their hand, they don't go down the road that Republicans went down in 98 um, with Clinton. Specifically um, the impeachment road. Yeah, I mean, Lindsey Graham <laughs> even said that on election night. Look, mm -hmm. we tried that. It didn't work. So I, I think Democrats are going to have to rein it in a little bit. Um, there are going to be people who don't want them to rein it in, but for practical governing purposes, um, they have an opportunity now to truly be that check and balance. 
And so let's let's not mess this up. We don't know what uh, what the Mueller report might right. deliver. That could be coming right. in, the, in in the weeks to come. What what will it be like in D.C. these next two years ahead of the 2020? Well, election? my I guess there's a difference between maybe my hopes and my and reality. My hope is that the Democrats are judicious in the way they conduct themselves and that uh, President Trump takes a step or two toward them and finds ways to work with them. Um, much the way Bill Clinton did on the budget and things like that. I hope it happens. I felt like he just fired a shot across the bow by firing Sessions. I mean, I think that was... Yeah, I hope you're right, but I don't see a lot of evidence on that. He also went after his own people on... the list, of Republicans, yeah. Not only Democrats, but threw under the bus anyone who wasn't with him. And by the way, one of the Mia Love who he mentioned might still win her race. Right, right. So that's going to be Super awkward. Donald Trump spent time in pro wrestling before he ever got into politics, and, <laughs> and I think he learned some lessons from that and how he handles. He needs a foil. He needs the villain. And that and, may have been and, press as and, well. And, and, and he does. Course. He definitely puts the media in that role. Yeah. And I, I would say that there are some journalists who haven't learned that lesson yet, and they step forward to you know to play that role that he wants. Uh, Would I think, you be speaking of Jim Acosta? Yeah, I might be. I just might yeah. be. Uh, from you know, network, and, right. and I mean, it does happen. And uh, I think Democrats, House Democrats, are set up for that. They need to be smart and avoid being the foil. But guess mm -hmm. what? That's really hard when there's an election in two years for president. And that's yes. where I worry that we're going to overstep and there's going to be one press conference after another and one investigation after another. Yeah. And the 2020 campaign, like, starts now. Yeah. It started on Tuesday. Yeah. It comes down Wednesday to yeah. your message and who carries your message and with all due respect to the Democrats you got a lot of bright people in your party but you can't have Maxine Waters and Kamala Harris and Tom Perez and Elizabeth Warren being your standard bearers. You've got to find somebody who's rational um, you know, but at the same time, yeah, you can say that all you want but at the same time Republicans have hitched their wagon to someone who is racist, misogynist and is Happy to do that and happy to be that foil for people. I, that he is that I, I would foil push back for on a group. That a little bit. Um, Donald Trump won because of Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, um, and Hillary Clinton labeled a lot of those people as deplorable. She did. She did. She um, shouldn't have done that. Barack Obama, right. when he ran in right. 08, said right. that those those people in those states, right. you know, he was out in California for a fundraiser and he started clinging bitterly to but their religion. Guns and religion. Guns and guns, religion. Guns and religion. The, guns people, and religion. People remember that. They and, do. And, and, yeah. and, you know, the, the Democratic Party has become... Uh, a rather elite party on the coast, and they've written off middle America, and that's why we're seeing, that's why they, they provided an opening Michigan. for Donald Trump. But we won Michigan. Wisconsin, Not in 2016. No, but Illinois. we just won the governor's We just flipped on, yeah, we well, just flipped that. Illinois, Illinois, Chicago. Just, I mean, we just well, and also Rahner was, and Rahner was not yeah. exactly your yeah. Let's get to Tim's point yeah. a minute, though, because Tim's right, and that is, if you look at the election, the, the exit polling, what it showed was that more and more of the college-educated people are going to the Democratic Party yeah. and fewer and fewer are going to the Republican mm -hmm. Party. Just like um, Charles Murray said in, in Coming Apart, we are coming apart in a, as a nation from an education standpoint in, in all kinds of ways. 
and that is not bode well for either party in the long term. When you talk about the Democratic Party and its strength on the coast, uh, you've got Nancy Pelosi, obviously, presumably the next House Speaker. There's been a lot of talk from Democratic House candidates who mm -hmm. suggested they might not vote for Pelosi right. to remain in that leadership role. Now it looks like she may indeed hang on uh, to that post. Yeah. It, it, could that be detrimental to Democrats ahead of 2020, giving the president that foil? She's sort of been an easy target politically. I don't politically. think it probably matters who's in that position. Um, I think we would have had to have a much stronger wave in the House if, mm -hmm. if she was not going to remain Speaker. She's incredibly powerful and incredibly good at her job, and she knows how to count votes. So, But at the same time, every time I get a mail piece that has, you know, or see a mail piece that has Nancy Pelosi on it, or, or Chuck Schumer, and I'm here in Indiana, and people are like, yeah. well, who's that nice grandma, and who's that I, nice guy? I, like, I just, and no one knows yeah. who they are. I think also, too, we also, in Maybe our conversations, reflect <laughs> well, we we talked about a lot. But I think what's interesting is when we have Chuck our conversations here, we have differing, our, it's our differing perspectives and different generational viewpoints as well. Sure. Um, and so I think when we're even having these conversations mm -hmm. of what we're seeing and what we're hearing out there um, and our own, our own perspectives. All right, final thoughts. Let's wrap it up. Uh, what did this election mean? So I think there were some things that under the surface that are really um, important for the future. Ohio is becoming increasingly a red state it is, and not yeah. a swing state. Mm -hmm. Missouri and Ohio. A Missouri and Ohio, which you know, right. not long ago were both swing states, are definitely. Um, so we're seeing a hardening of polarization across the country and it's geographic polarization. That's bad for both parties. I think it's bad for the country. Mm -hmm. With you on that, we made some. I, I think we made some grounds. We, we gained some ground nationally, and we were just talking a little bit about um, the Democratic governor's seats that that flipped in states where Trump won in 2016. Michigan, Wisconsin, Michigan, yeah, Wisconsin, right. Illinois. Um, I, I think that that is um, a, a good. That's where 2020 is going to be won or lost. Right? Well, it's a good indication, and I, I I think we really. I mean, I think the Democratic Party and Hillary Clinton really missed the ball by not going to those states mm -hmm. and not campaigning and not having a presence. You just can't ignore entire swaths of the country. Right. The president himself has pointed that out a time or two. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You're, you're well, I think, popular I think the lesson is once again, you know, we thought you know Donald Trump was a surprise in 2016. He's not. The Republican Party, for better or for worse, now is the party of Trump. Everybody opposed has been swept away. And the Democrats, the reason they aren't doing better is because they, they continue to put forward as their face these very eccentric, to put it kindly, kind of caricaturistic kind of people. And they need to get to mainstream people, mainstream leaders, mm -hmm. I guess you would call it, mm -hmm. with solid ideas. Yeah. And, and, and building on that, and I think this is important, so both Laura and I have kids that are like a month apart, right? Yeah. So they're 11 and, and about to be 11. Right. And so I talk a lot with my daughter about the difference between fairness and equality, or right. making things equal versus mm -hmm. things being fair. And Tim, you talked on election night about a lot about the anger, right? We talked about how mm -hmm. angry people are. Um, and I think they still are as we come out of last Tuesday. Yeah. Um, but I think they're not so much angry at equality as they are that they haven't been treated fairly. fairly. Right. And that goes yeah. for the left and the right. And right. I think, Mike, to your point, point I mean, there's been a lot of talking past voters on both sides. Mm -hmm. If sure. we can listen a little more and preach yeah. a little less, we'll be better off. I, I think the anger is rooted in value. I think there are millions of Americans, including millions of people in this state, who feel like, rightly or wrongly, they feel like the Democratic Party no longer values them. Mm -hmm. and, and I hear that. I, hear, I see it on social media. I hear it from prominent Democrats, usually on the coast, who um, you know, can't resist the urge to insult 
those used to be Democratic voters, blue-collar voters, in the Midwest as being lesser than. Or to talk down to them instead of understanding and meeting them where they are. It's right. funny you say that and because I talked to Greg Ballard two nights ago at a 100th birthday party for P. McAllister. And he said, you know, I just had a young man come see me from Greensburg and says he's thinking of running for mayor of Greensburg. What should I do, Mayor Ballard? And he said, go door to door mm -hmm. and listen. All you got to do is listen to people and they will give you your platform. And I, But I also think, though, on the flip side, um, I think of the women I know who live mm -hmm. in the, who are educated women who live in the suburbs who feel like they have been utterly abandoned by the Republican Party because right. they've put Donald Trump out there. Yeah. Um, that Access Hollywood tape for them and then his behavior um, over, you know, with what he said about Megyn Kelly and his just constant um, negativity toward women, um, that has really really turned them off and they likely were probably Republican values voters in the in the 90s. A lot of the dynamics from yeah. 2016 uh, really just continuing into this election cycle and beyond no doubt. Guys thank you so much. Thank we you. appreciate it. We'll Thanks. talk more Thanks next week.